And let's be fair, I mean, these have come on in leaps and bounds. When this first shut down uh, in March, I think we were all looking there going, what the hell are we going to do for the next, uh, you know, for the next several months meetings? And it's been, uh, it's been amazing how some of them have evolved, trying to be more or less complex. You know, the virtual meetings uh, that people have tried, you know, those have been a bit more tricky. And, uh, and then the simple stuff like just chatting on Zoom with a few people. So we might, be, we might be able to get better at that, but it's going to take a little bit more thought, isn't it? This episode was made possible with the support of Medtronic Aortic. Aortic disease doesn't stop. Neither do you. That's why now, more than ever, we're committed to offering virtual education, off-the-shelf solutions and unrivaled support. Medtronic Aortic, your partner in the evolving healthcare landscape. Navigating change together. Hello, everyone. It's uh, great to have you here uh, this podcast virtually. Um, uh, it is my distinct honor to have Steve Black on this uh, program with me from uh, Guy and St. Thomas's uh, Trust in the UK. I'm Krish Desai. I'm an interventional radiologist from Chicago in the United States. And for this first in a set of podcasts that is going to give us a global vascular perspective, um, it's going to be Steve and I holding an informal discussion about uh, really the matters at hand, which is shifting tides and how education specifically, we're going to talk about vascular education, how those shifting tides have moved a very in-person, interactive environment through a multitude of meetings that happened throughout the year into the entirely online virtual forum in a quite abrupt manner. So we're going to talk about how, what our perceptions of it are, uh, what we think the attendees' perceptions and industry's perceptions of it are, and uh, how we can grow and what we think the future holds for us. So, Steve, it's great to have you. Um, it's always a pleasure to do these programs with you. And uh, let's just start off by what do you what do you think are some of the benefits of an online virtual platform for learning? Uh, Kush, uh, um, really great to join you uh, on this podcast. I think we've had a great time chatting over the course of the last few months, and it's very timely, I suppose, to talk about these education issues that we are currently facing. Uh, so, you know, the benefits for faculty and attendees, I think the biggest benefit has been the ability to continue to provide education and online learning uh, and continue some of the themes of topics that were lined up for many of the meetings uh, with, without the ability to travel. So that sort of um, option of continuing, I guess, has is, is been important. And I suppose the second uh, benefits which you would talk about is the ability to to join so many more meetings than perhaps we would have been able to otherwise with the constraints of travel and the impact that that has in your practice. Because for most of us, we can dip in and out of a meeting while still continuing to provide a largely normal service around that, which is both a a good and a bad thing, uh, I would think. But those two factors, I think, have been the most important. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. Um, I'll tell you that my wife and my children are much happier that I'm home. <laughs> I'm sure yours are the same. Um, but, uh, you know, the it's great for attendees to be able to pick and choose what they want to listen to on their time. And that I think 
was largely, it was always available, but certainly not available in the breadth that is available now that everybody is completely online, where if somebody wants to listen to, for example, what Steve and I do, which is a lot of venous disease, specifically deep venous obstructive disease, if they want to listen to a talk on iliocaval interventions, they click the link. They don't have to necessarily wait till a certain part of the day, and they can do it on their time, evening, morning, um, between cases or at, at lunchtime. So that's, that, that's, I think, one of the big positives of moving into the virtual realm. But, you know, what I wonder is, are there compromises being made um, by being entirely virtual? I'll, I'll start by saying that I think that I lose the in-person interaction, not only with colleagues like you, Steve, but I lose interaction with attendees. And I think we've talked about this, and certainly you can elaborate on this more. There's a lot to learn just from informal conversations that I'm a little concerned that we simply don't get at least not adequately or in the same manner in an online forum. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely right. And, and we, we had a, a, a recent chat about that um, at quite some length because uh, for me, uh, as, a, as a faculty member, and I suppose the difference is for faculty versus attendees, as a faculty member, some of the, the, the best uh, uh, aspects of meetings or the ability to chat to people like yourself or somebody like Nikos or Tony or Steve Elias or Jerry O'Sullivan or, you know, Mark Meisner or any of the people that we, we spend time learning from. But you have those conversations at the end of your talk in a corridor or perhaps over a beer or perhaps at dinner where you learn, and I've learned a huge amount about, you know, how to treat my patients better and where the differences are. In, in the subtleties of how we engaging with our colleagues or engaging with uh, patients. Uh, and, and that's been tricky to see how we replicate that. And I think the same applies to attendees. You know, there's oftentimes I'll do a, a lecture and at the end you'll have four or five people who are waiting to have a chat uh, about some stuff, maybe a patient they're treating, things that they couldn't just bring up in a fully open forum. I think we've seen that from some of the podcasts and, and learning we've done now where that the, the question time or the, the ability to have those, those off-the-cuff comments have not totally been replicated yet. And I wonder if we can start to find a mechanism of doing that in a more, in a more tangible way. That's a good point. Um, we've all been in that position where somebody pulls out their phone and says, what do you think about this case? And there's yeah. not something only for the attendees, but for us, because I yeah. certainly have been in this scenarios and he says, well, you know, here's how I approach. And I was like, well, that's interesting. I would have never thought of that way of doing it, but it's a good way to consider it. And you can either say, well, here's why I don't think I would do it. Or, well, you came across or you stumbled upon something or, you know, either knowingly or unknowingly that um, I think is very useful and we can bring it back to our practice. And you almost wonder if we need some sort of moderated virtual online forum for question asking. And, uh, we haven't seen that in, we haven't seen that in a, in an organic matter because right now question and answer in, in these online sessions is largely at the end and people raise their hands and then the moderator or, or the uh, technical person behind the scenes is letting them into the chat room to ask their question or they're typing yeah. it in. And it really just isn't the same. No, it's not, it's not the same. And I think the, uh, the difference is when you sat in a room full of people and you, and you, you can see who's around you, who may be answering questions or people are waiting their turn, you get a sense of how the flow of the conversation is going. And I, I found that uh, often moderating talks as well, you can pick out people 
um, and get them to answer questions, which has been a bit more tricky. But I guess that's about us learning how to use these platforms. And let's be fair, I mean, these have come on in leaps and bounds. When this first shut down uh, in March, I think we were all looking there going, what the hell are we going to do for the next, uh, you know, for the next several months of meetings? And it's been uh, it's been amazing how some of them have evolved, trying to be more or less complex. You know, the virtual meetings uh, that people have tried, you know, those have been a bit more tricky. And uh, and then the simple stuff like just chatting on Zoom with a few people. So we might be we might be able to get better at that, but it's going to take a little bit more thought, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, you know, the one thing I also get concerned about is the quality of education and we all know that interactive education is the best because it's problem directed um, patients or, or, or participants bring up their problem they ask a question then there's a banter back and forth on the panel and quite frankly sometimes it's worth much more than the didactics that precede it right it says well here's how i've been doing yeah. cases for 20 years and you're presenting this way of doing it and why should i listen to you and then there's a a, a thoughtful discussion between four people on a panel and that simply is and, and, and then the whole room of 90, 100, whatever number of people benefit from that discussion. So how do we how do we do that? And there, there, there are probably ways to do it. But I think, Steve, you have really said it best. We are social creatures. And so I think that when all of this has blown over, we will in some way, shape or form, go back to uh, being in person. And we'll discuss that more in, in, in a couple of minutes. Um, but yeah. I, what I wonder if, uh, is also what are the other intangible losses that we've come across? And the first one I'll, I want to bring up uh, for consideration is, um, you know, future informal that go on to become very formal uh, uh, studies and, and uh, research opportunities that, you know, are not being generated at high levels in universities or grants or uh, at industry, but they happen between two or three uh, KOLs, if I can use that word. And then they say, well, that's a good idea and let's let's make something of it. And we don't have that opportunity, do we? No, um, I think I think that's definitely changed things. Um, and, and I'm struggling with how we replicate that uh, for sure. So uh, if I take a look at um, a bunch of the studies that I've been involved in over the, the last several years um, and, and some that are upcoming that we're trying to set up, and, and you know, we both involved in Clear DVT question. If you, if you look at the timeline on that study and how we got that off the ground, a lot of it involved informal meetings between ourselves and not only Boston Scientific ultimately end up sponsoring it, but also um, uh, the various members of setting that, that study up were, were, were at meetings. And what meetings provided us with was, was one, a fixed point at which we would have to see each other to resolve issues. So you kept things moving forward. Two was that option for face-to-face informal conversation. And particularly when there's some difficult things to resolve, sitting in a room and thrashing it out, you get a sense for where people are. You can read their faces. You can see what people are upset about or or enthused about or engaged with and things that they're not engaged with. Uh, And that face-to-face personal contact helps you to move discussion forward. And I I think it's, it's a little bit with... Podcast is a bit like uh, you know drivers who start to um, get road rage. If you're sat remotely from people in a room having an awkward conversation, I'm not so sure you're going to resolve it in quite the same way as you would if you were sat in a room in front of each other. Um, and I think that's um, 
that's going to be interesting to see how we keep those 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 bigger things that 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 for me were were so important with meetings, uh, the, the you know the, the the board meetings, how we build those back up in a way that actually helps us to support this sort of stuff. Well, that's a great point because uh, if I can make a if I can make a metaphor, it's like almost the difference between sending an email and then giving someone time to think it through and answer, or instead of getting the first gut reaction, which is often lays bare how they truly feel about something. Um, yeah. Or entirely ignore you altogether and get buried in the thousands of emails that you and I get every day. <laughs> so, um, th- yeah, there, what? yeah, there, there's very, some, there's something very real uh, about being in person and saying like, look, you said this about the endpoints for the study. Let's just as a point of discussion. And I disagree with that because it's not going to happen at my shop. And then, you come to a compromise and that compromise yeah. does not happen over email without a lot of extraneous noise, not impossible, but a much slower process. I would think. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, there's, there's hopefully a, a new, uh, a study that we, we, we've finally got over the line and this has taken us the probably a year and a half of multiple meetings to get, to get it to the point where it's, where it's, where it's, virtually ready to go not virtually as in the virtual world right but virtually as in we're, we're almost good to go and that and that took a you know what i found about those meetings were uh if i, I reflect on the process we had a face-to-face board meeting where people got a little bit heated maybe a little bit of upset about stuff and everybody bantered through and when you're in a big room you know the loudest voices often dominate so you'll get the, the sort of stronger speakers talking you can pick up from the body language which people are not quite so happy, who may not be on board. And then the follow-on from that meeting is you have about 45 minutes to an hour where you're wandering around just catching individual people and going, you seem bothered by that. What's up? You know, let's work through right. it. Let's talk about that. Let's solve that problem. And, you, you know, that, that kind of that follow-on. And then at the end of that time, you've pretty much got a good handle on where you need to go to set the next the next stage. And, and we don't have that, that sort of, even if you can replicate the first stage in a, of a board meeting, the, the subtlety that comes with, with building consensus and building a group of people to get them unified, I think we, we're going we're gonna to have to work hard to get that right um, uh, over, over, the next, over the next several months, for sure. No, I absolutely agree. If we shift gears a little bit to how this has impacted industry, or from our perception as, as frequent faculty at these meetings, industry, not only in terms of uh, our ability to collaborate collaborate with industry, but from seeing the the latest and greatest new technologies. Um, Meetings are frankly where that information is disseminated. It's not hard to see that. That's why industry spends considerable amounts of money to advertise and promote new technologies at these meetings. And let's just be honest, not being able to hold a device at a booth or in a workshop, hands-on workshop type of scenario, uh, it, it really, I think, compromises uptake and penetration of new technologies, wouldn't you say? Uh, no, I totally agree with that. I mean, I think uh, you, you, you and I have similar experiences of having, you know, provided advice to several people on products and as they develop and so on. And that stage of holding it in your hands, playing with the product, playing with the delivery system, just getting a feel for what it's going to do, is irreplaceable, and I think um, the quality of feedback will suffer from that. 
And I think also for our industry partners, it's the same thing as that, that, that you know, there's informal conversations that happen out with of the meeting or at, around the booth or afterwards at dinner or whatever. There is, there is a, uh, you know, I, I can see that online learning is much cheaper to deliver and therefore the cost may come down, but actually the cost was related to some of that benefit that you you got from from you know their their real uh, presence at a meeting of 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 all that stuff that happened in the background, uh, and I'm sure we'll find a way to, to do it. But I think that's why you know um, if we if we start to think of of all the days of in person meetings over, and that that certainly has been mentioned, uh, I can't see that that will be the case. I'm sure that we will start to find uh, the value of in person meetings will come will come back again. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, over the course of the next uh, uh, next several several months, you know. Yeah, and, and and truthfully, I don't think there really is a way to replace the hands-on. Um, I know we had mentioned this as a discussion point. There really is no way in a virtual environment to replace hands-on. Uh, whether the, the closest approximation you can get is is local representatives uh, bringing in device uh, or, or or prototype device to. Uh, to high volume users and then perhaps having recorded uh, material that they have on an iPad or a tablet or something of, of the sort on their end and saying, yeah. well, here's what they've thought about it. And why don't you uh, get your hands on it and let's have feedback and let's, let's, let's discuss what you think about it. And it isn't quite the same as being in Las Vegas and holding the device uh, as we would be at Viva, but it's about as close as we can get um, in, in the current environment. But you know what, what one, yeah. other thing I, one other thing I wonder is, um, how can we improve the interactivity uh, between us as faculty and a group of people that have questions? And one idea that I've kind of bandied about with a few people, I think we've even discussed it, is something where attendees can bring their own cases that we then discuss. And, you know, it's uh, in a very non-judgmental way, but this is how I, I've always found these conversations and live meetings to be amongst the most fruitful that I had this patient and then everybody benefits from the experience discussing that patient's care. Yeah, so I, think, I, think, uh, I, I think, I think that's right. Kush. it's, um, uh, you know, if we think of the, some of the best meetings that, that I've had, have been meetings like uh, Expert Venus Management in New York and uh, uh, run by, by Steve and and, uh, and colleagues there, where I've learned the most from those sort of informal discussions around patients, not only my own, but everybody else's when you present your own difficulties. And I think it's important to recognize that, you know, you may, pop, you may stand on the podium and be recognized as a KOL uh, or whatever that means, but uh, you, we all struggle with patients and we all struggle with sharing ideas. And actually, in some respects, there's differences for people where you perceive to be an expert in it, you get more complex things. And that makes the problem solving harder. Uh, and actually, that that sort of breadth of discussion that you have in those sort of meetings is important. So I think if how can we foster or improve things? And, and this also ties into the will uh, vir- virtual meetings replace everything? I think if you get a good blend of virtual meetings, where people don't necessarily have to travel and the meeting is broadcast live, so you increase the number of people <clears throat> who are going to be able to log in and see it. But you have a component of faculty that are there together with some audience members. I mean, it's a bit like watching a chat show on TV. You know, you, 
you watching the chat show, there's a live audience who are interacting with the people on the, on the stage who are sharing ideas, but far more people see it. And I think that sort of um, virtual live meeting combination will probably work to address some of these things. But I think that uh, moving away from didactic lectures uh, and minimizing those instructional lectures that have been the mainstay of meetings over several years a bit of stuff that is science-driven where we're presenting new science and new research and a lot of stuff that is focused on decision-making on patients with real examples from both uh, audience and um, and other participants will be, you know, really powerful. And we, we now have the technology to allow us to, to show, record videos very simply, to edit them ourselves, to, to have these sort of bits and pieces together that, that will add to that. Well, uh, this actually feeds right into what we wanted to discuss next is are the days of the uh, are the days of the in-person meetings over and i think everyone that's listening probably realizes that steve and i certainly hope that they're not and because <laughs> yeah. there are just some things that cannot be replaced in an online only environment um so we'll move forward and i'm certain we'll have in-person meetings because as steve has said it best we are social creatures and we need in-person interaction and there's subtleties that you simply do not get over uh, over Zoom or Teams or whatever it may be. But one thing um, that might benefit if we, if we discuss a little bit more the idea of sort of hybrid meetings, which there is an in-person component and a virtual component that people can tune in. Some are already doing this, but I think that it's going to happen much more. And the benefit for of it is you can, you can have a truly global audience. So for example... Some, a, a meeting like Sharing Cross, for example, may have a much more global audience and much larger uptake in the United States by having a robust online platform. Wouldn't you say, Steve? No, I think that's absolutely right. And, and I think it was testament to the success of some of those meetings is the Charing Cross um, online platform was very well received. And we've seen that from a number of other meetings where um, you know, the number of people, I think for Vane Symposium, uh, you know, there were a thousand people a day logging in and you, you can't get that sort of attendance uh, live. It's expensive uh, for a lot of people to travel. And, and I think it's going to get more expensive to travel because the airlines have been so uh, hammered by, by COVID. I can't see that we're going to be able to uh, have the options that we did for those low cost budget airlines. I mean, who knows how many of them are still going to be in operation at the end of it. So I'm sure that if we can find a really robust bend of both, I mean, I have to say to your point earlier about your family being so much happier that you're around, I, you know, normally I'm charging around like a lunatic and, and I'm flying back and forth to try and do all sorts of things. And that's all stopped, uh, and which has been great. Uh, and I think we've got to find the right balance between it because there were undoubtedly too many meetings. So if there's, if there's some sort of, uh, and actually, that's been exposed now by the by the uh, online type of uh, platforms. Is there's practically something going on every single other weekend at the moment? And you know, uh, now that people expect that you can just attend any time, uh, it, it it is becoming quite hard, <laughs> quite hard work. I would have to say, trying to keep up with everything. So we, we do have to rationalise meetings to some extent, um, and I think that would be helpful too. Yeah, uh, there are too many meetings. And so if this means that some meetings go every other, some smaller congresses go every other year, um, that way you have fresh perspectives, but they're on a 
uh, twice yearly or uh, every other year uh, basis, as opposed to being annually, then um, it keeps things fresh and it permits in-person meetings to happen. And then you have the, you have the hybrid approach of uh, these online meetings. You know, I, for example, my exposure to an IR meeting in Europe, Circe is very limited, uh, but now with an online presence as they've been forced to pivot to as um, all of them have, uh, I can see myself being much more easily involved in, in listening and, and interacting uh, in Circe, mm. which was not typically something that had a very large online uh, presence, at least certainly not one that I was aware of. Um, and no, you can, no, it did not. Yeah. Right, exactly. And you can imagine that having being able to literally interact with all of continental Europe and get an entire group of, uh, of providers from different countries, different practices, different exposures, different patient populations um, to us here in the United States is, is incredibly valuable. And, and I think yeah. they would probably feel the same way about our uh, SIR meeting, which is once a year, that if, if, it, if they do have a very uh, robust online presence, then they can have access to content that, frankly, they've never had access to before unless they flew here. Yeah, well, no, quite. And I think, I think um, you know, the same applies to uh, Asia and Australia, Australasia. I mean, it's, you know, prohibitive to come all the way from Australia or, or Africa to most of these meetings, not only from a cost perspective, but from a time, a time and traveling. And, you know, you get that benefit of having meetings later in the afternoon uh, in European time, sort of five, six in the afternoon, which is really uh, – evening in uh, in in asia and early morning in in the us where everybody can tune in at the same time and um i think you know those aspects of meetings are really good so you may find that the online components of a meeting or the virtual part that is broadcast is is put into a different time zones so you're not having the whole meeting broadcast but you you, you specifically have an hour session that is that is uh loaded up to be uh, online and interactive with some form of live moderation of questions and how things come in from from people all over the world, uh, and, and uh, you know we're going to touch on a lot of those things in our podcast as we uh, over the series as we go through uh, uh, it, things that are impacting the states or, or Asia and Europe more specifically. But there's lots of common ground, uh, and if nothing else, if we can drive some more standardized approaches to patients across the globe. We're going to do everybody, uh, not only ourselves, but our, specifically our patients a favor by, by moving the discussions to forward on things like appropriateness of care and the best treatment options. It moves so fast now, we, 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 can, we can really help facilitate that. And that's what I think is great about this series of, uh, of podcasts that Steve has uh, put together with Radcliffe, that you're over the next several months, you're going to get a truly global perspective, and I certainly will be listening to all of them, and we'll be incorporating uh, items from prior podcasts into each one that I end up producing, just to have a common thread throughout the entire thing, that we're all in this together. This is a truly global phenomenon that we're in the midst of right now, and in a funny sort of way, it's bringing us together to really kind of rethink think out of the box and rethink how we're the how, how we approach education and care of patients we're not it's not simply how how do we do it here in the u.s well you know i heard that this is how they do it in australia how ramesh does in australia i know how steve does it in the uk and it's really not too different or there are stark differences and we can improve what we're doing and vice versa so there's um i think this is a it, 
this couldn't come at a better time, this, uh, this set of podcasts. Uh, so, Steve, I'm going to ask you in our closing couple minutes here to put on your Nostradamus hat. And let's see if we can predict how we come out of uh, this, um, this uh, COVID-imposed, uh, pandemic-imposed quarantine. And when, when we can be in person again, what do you, when and how do you see us emerging from this in terms of uh, in-person education? So uh, yeah, it's really tricky, isn't it? I mean, a lot of a lot of what happens with COVID seems to be tied into: uh, Do we have a second wave? Will we have a vaccine? Uh, when are we going to be able to go back to some something approaching normal? And there's so many variables in it. Uh, you know, for for me personally, it, it's trying to manage the the patients who've now been on hold for six or seven months, who we need to treat. So there's a big your day job burden of work that needs to be dealt with and then uh, continuing the education and training. Uh, so I personally think we're not going to be anywhere near normal uh, in, in the next year. I know a lot of meetings are now trying to set themselves up for February, March, April and hope that we, we back to normal. I, I personally think that's optimistic. I think, um, you know, if, if the, if the winter predictions of second and third waves are, are, are right, we're going to be struggling to, have confidence to travel. Uh, hospitals are going to impose restrictions on large group meetings. You know, we, we are still not allowed to attend any meeting, which is going to be a large group of people joining together because obviously the impact for a hospital, if, if, if a whole bunch of people have to quarantine for two weeks is, is enormous. Uh, so I think we're going to have to see those things change. So I, I'm looking to the end of 2021, 2022 to start going back to uh, face-to-face meetings in the sort of scale that we we got used to of Link, Viva, uh, Veith, Charing Cross, those sort of big meetings where you had four or 5,000 people all together in the same place at the same time. Uh, and in the middle, we're going to find a middle ground of how we start to build those back up again. And it might just be smaller groups and this balance that we've been talking about today of a bit of live presence of, of the faculty broadcasting to groups of people, smaller audiences, that sort of thing. Yeah. I, you couldn't have said it any better. I mean, I, I completely agree. I think it's optimistic to think that we are going to be in person at large Congresses uh, in the early part of next year. Uh, there are just far too many variables. Uh, one, the, the, the city or the locale hosting it, the, um, the policies of your of your hospital and university um, that will probably impact a very large percentage of faculty from even attending, not to mention attendees. Uh, and then, on top of it all, just the 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 stark reality of the politics of entering and exiting countries, <laughs> where COVID may be at a different point uh, uh, of the curve. So. Uh, you're you're absolutely right, Steve. There's going to have to be not only a vaccine that we can trust, but probably one that has somewhat broad penetration before we are looking at in-person meetings. Uh, I I was hoping maybe late next summer, but I think that that's probably yeah. optimistic at this point. Um, it's probably going to be 21, 22. But I like your idea of being able to get a few people together um, in something that is permitted by our bosses to then deliver interactive ASCO education where four or five of us are together in a room and then we can do smaller meetings and to an online audience. I think that's a, that's a natural next step to sort of bring back some of this interactivity that we've been missing. Yeah, I agree totally. 
Um, well, of course, it's been great, uh, great chatting. I think uh, that's. Uh, I'm not sure we could have added much more into into that uh, discussion about where we're at and where we're going. But I'm just grateful that we've been able to continue some form of online and virtual education. And you know, it's funny the uh, all these things that we were slightly nervous of have become natural. You know, even even uh, you know doing this uh, doing this problem Zencast, you know uh, we've, we've managed to find a way to upskill ourselves in a very short space of time that's right so um, it's been it's been a phenomenal uh, learning experience absolutely Steve it's a, always a pleasure um, I look forward to doing many more of these with you because um, we frankly will have to and we're getting better at it <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, um, thank you everyone for listening please uh, stay tuned as over the next several months uh, from Radcliffe, there is going to be a glo- truly global perspective in vascular education. And uh, I think all of us are going to try and have a common thread so that uh, listening to each subsequent episode is almost like a continuation of prior episodes. And we're, we're going to try and do something along those lines. So uh, again, uh, Steve, uh, thanks for being on and uh, good to chat with you. And we'll see you for the next one. Thanks, Kush. Take care. Bye-bye. This podcast was brought to you by Radcliffe Vascular and is sponsored by Medtronic. To view the series, head to radcliffevascular.com forward slash vascular podcast. You can also find us on all well-known podcast platforms and follow us on Twitter at Radcliffe Vascu. Thanks for listening.